Psalm 10, and we'll be going there in just a moment. Go ahead and find that location, the 10th Psalm. And then uh, I'll say a few words to you, and then we'll begin in there. Appreciate you being in the Lord's house on a Sunday evening. It's a privilege. I appreciate you being here. I'll speak to you this evening on this subject of what moves you. What moves you. And uh, in the Scripture, God has a lot to say about being moved or not being moved. Knowing when to be and when not to be moved. And recognizing what influences, influences should or should not be allowed to move us is a very, very important subject. Uh, as I sought to get down to the uh, meat of this subject and present it in a way which would be easy to follow, uh, I was amazed how much the Bible does talk about what moves us, what shouldn't move us, and all of that. I think uh, many of you know the verse which I was signed and, and which I've taken sort of as life's verse is, uh, Be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, as your labor is not in vain in the Lord, and that scripture out of 1 Corinthians 15:58 has been uh, not just a, a verse that I write down, but that that guides almost every decision that I make and everything I come into. Be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And this thing of being moved or not being moved is very important. Likewise, as important as it is not to be moved by the wrong things. It is vitally important to be moved by the right things. Um, I have seen before people who will come to a service, and of course when you're reading someone's countenance, you may be misreading, and I understand that as a speaker, but sometimes it shows up in more than just their countenance by their reactions, by their continued behavior pattern. Some people come in just daring you to move them. Now, sometimes people come in because they're very hurt and they're that way, uh, daring you to move them. They're not going to drop their guard for anybody. Uh, I remember my, uh, my wife and I, we got a, uh, years and years ago, we got a vacation. We, the boys were still young, and we went, uh, we went to uh, the uh, um, uh, Pigeon Forge, uh, Gatlinburg area, and it was one of those deals, you know, the blue-green, has anybody seen the blue-green timeshare deals? And they say, you come and we'll put you up, you know, for two days free and you get some money and all that, and all you've got to do is set through a 90 90-minute presentation. I can withstand any presentation for 90 minutes or 90 days for that matter. And so I, uh, we did it, and they did what they said. They put us up in a Sheridan. It was a nice room except for this really weird uh, red bird. I remember him. He saw his reflection, woke us up every morning just beating the fire out of the window on that thing. But the accommodations were good, and uh, they did what they said, and we went up to the presentation. I was keeping count. They were closing about 60% of the presentations. Man, when you have a sales situation where you're closing at that rate, you're making some money. And so this fella got us in, and, and there was a group, and he started talking, and he did the very simple things to get us to respond. I would not respond to anything. And I could see it was becoming a point with him to try to get response out of me. And I thought, not going to happen. First of all, I'm usually on the other side of that, and so uh, it's kind of fun being over here. And, and since it's not a moral thing, I'm just resisting the sales thing, it's not a problem. And he'd say, beautiful weather, isn't it? And I just stared. <laughs> you having a good time? I, would, I wouldn't respond to anything because that's part of sales. You get somebody moving like that. And finally, I remember partway through, he just looked at me and he says, you're not going to respond to anything, are you? Just like that, pointing me out of the group. And I thought, 
No, I'm not responding to that either. And I just looked at him and he's like, ah, like that. And so finally, uh, he changed it and he figured out, I don't know, you know, paperwork or whatever. And he started talking about how it would be good stewardship to buy a timeshare. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so anyway, he, he went down that tack. And, you know, you ought to be a good steward with your money. And this is the way to do it. And uh, so I never forget, finally got done. And finally he says, is there any question? I raised my hand. And he's like, you can see, he goes, what is it? I said, where do we go to get the check? Time's up. <laughs> just like it. And he goes, so you came down here, took a free room and everything just to get a free room. You had no intention of buying anything. I said, exactly. I said, if you don't want that to happen, don't advertise it. Where's the room? Go that way and get it. And we got our check and off we went and uh, helped pay for the thing. It was with that. I decided I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. And uh, when it comes to, uh, when it came to the sales thing with that, uh, we did a Kirby vacuum cleaner salesman that way one time when we were in college. That poor guy, I think they finally quit selling them around the Sherrillville area, the Merrillville area. Uh, they came, he came in and did a presentation and he came in and he looked around and uh, we, had, we had some uh, music playing there and all that and he got done and he goes, you're just doing this because you get $25 grocery. I think it was at, uh, at one of the food stores, key markets or whatever they were up there. And uh, he said, you're college students at that college down there, aren't you? Uh-huh. You're just doing this at $25 grocery, aren't you? Uh-huh. I don't have a chance of selling you, do I? Uh-uh. Okay. And he went out and I heard him call his manager. It was so funny. He had one of those big old bag phones back then. And he said, it's another one of those college students. I'm getting out of here as fast as I can. And so he, he said, never tried to witness to him. I shall not be moved. But uh, let me say this to you. I do not want to have an I shall not be moved heart when it comes to the things of the Lord. Uh, not at all. I don't want to have a, I shall not be moved heart towards the Lord when it comes to my private study in the Bible. When it comes to the nudging of the Holy Ghost of God when about things ought to be doing. Or when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God when someone clearly opens the Scripture and shows what the Scripture says, I don't want to not be moved. Likewise, I don't want to be moved by things which would take me away from uh, following Christ and being what I ought to be. And so with all that said tonight, I want to, I want to help you tonight and, and let you realize what you allow to, to, to move you and what you choose to not allow to move you makes a huge difference on where you're going to end up in life. And also, I want you to understand none of us are immune from being moved. I was talking to Brother Mann and I said, I watch more carefully now because I am not convinced that I'm not more susceptible to influence than I, right now than I was 10 years ago. The preacher, your order seems like you'd be starting. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I am, I, I am not convinced at all that I am not more susceptible to influence than I was 10 years ago. Now, I want to be susceptible to right influence, but I'm talking about the temptation to just back off. The temptation to just maybe take a little easier route. The temptation to give in what I believe to draw, to attract, or to keep. And so, with that said, uh, I think it comes with being a grandpa. I really do. Mrs. Gounod looked at me one time, and it was after she knows me grandpa and such, and she said, uh, she said, being a grandparent's a good thing. And she looked at me, and she had a way of doing this, and she said, as long as it don't make you soft. So I whoop my grandkids once a week, whether they need or not. Just No. I tell you this, and forgive me, it's my prerogative of being a grandparent. I had to correct Marlea. They, they were at the house, and she was tearing paper off a crown. 
just tearing it off for no reason. And I said, Marley, don't tear the paper off the crown. And she said, I want to. End of game. Picked her up, said, you're coming with me. And, oh, no, I gave her, I, I, I said, you will stop. And then she goes, no. And I'm like, that's the end of it. I picked her up, took her to the bedroom, away from all the distraction. And uh, the, uh, she set her down. Went down, and I'm looking right at her. Her eyes are about this big. Now, this girl's blonde. I mean, seriously blonde. And her eyes are about this big. And I said, hand me the crown. She puts it in my hand. I said, take the crown back. She took it back. I said, hand it to me again. She handed it to me again. I take it back. I said, you never tell Pappy. No. I said, you understand. I didn't ask her, okay, I don't ask kids permission to do something. And it's a mistake in parenting to ask them, okay. Um, but I said, I said to her, I said, do you understand what you've been told? And she went just like this. She goes, yes, sir. I wanted her to speak more loudly. And I said, open your mouth. She goes. (laughs) 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 I'm down like this. Being all serious, Pappy. And she did. She's just like, ah. (laughs) I thought, seriously. And I said, you did that very well. I said, (laughs) take the crown and don't tear it up anymore. Okay. And she went back. She was fine. But it was great. So uh, it's funny the different things that happen. But I'll tell you what is not funny is if we allow things to move us away from where God wants us to be going in our life. And tonight I'm going to help you with this. And just a few thoughts that I know will be helpful because they're scriptural. And we're going to be using quite a bit of Bible tonight, which will keep you awake. It'll help fan you. It's kind of warm in here. And uh, it's the, 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 the air conditioning's trying. It really is. But let me give you these thoughts as I have them down here. First of all, I put this down. Do not make the mistake and uh, the foolish and prideful mistake of thinking you cannot be moved. Please do not make the foolish and prideful mistake of thinking you can't be moved. I know you're tough as, tough as a pine knot, but uh, you, you can be moved like anybody else can. And you need to realize that uh, if you're going to actually uh, accomplish much in life. Look in Psalm 10. I told you we'd be there. Please do not make the foolish and prideful uh, thought pattern come in your mind that you just can't be moved. And, you know, you can do whatever. You can play around the edge and you're never going to be taken away. Uh, just, just don't play that game. Psalm 10 says this in verse 1. It says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? So it's kind of an interesting lead in there, isn't it? Look in verse 2. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. We ought to learn from that never to bless or to like or to thumbs up something that God doesn't like. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. If you wonder why people don't seek God, there's your answer why they don't. God is not in all his thoughts. He's a self-made man. He's just going to do whatever. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. Look at verse 6. He, this is the, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, the one who doesn't want God in his thoughts, he saith, and he hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, 
for I shall never be in adversity. And that talks about his mouthful of cursing and all the different things. But I want you to understand the prideful and wicked thought that he says, I'm never going to be moved. You see the verse where it says he puffeth at his enemy? He says, ha, I ain't worried about that. He doesn't have sense enough to know that he too can be affected. Don't make that mistake. Uh, also, look in Psalm 30. I'll give you some instruction out of that. Look in Psalm 30. Look in verse 4. I want you to notice an early thought and then, and then something that comes up with this. Look in verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. By the way, isn't it amazing um, that holiness, which is something we should be giving thanks for and that we ought to praise God for, and it's called beauty, the beauty of holiness, because of a distortion of the teaching of that doctrine, it's sometimes to be even a word that people dread to hear because it's been used as a way to bludgeon people instead of what it is, which is the expression of the purity and the majesty and the glory of God. And, and it says there, it says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness, for His anger endureth but a moment, and His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Look at what He had said in verse 6. It's going to be important to catch this in order. And in my prosperity... While everything's going good, while everything's topside, while everything's easy. In my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. That's easy, isn't it? That's easy, isn't it? In my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. But wait a minute. Lord, be thou, be thy favor, excuse me. <laughs> Try again. Lord, be thy favor. <laughs> I know it says by. Let's try it, okay? Let's try it. I'm learning phonetics here. Bye. Can you do that? Bye. Eh, you all look as goofy as I do. All right, let's try it here. Bye-bye. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I can't say bye, but I'm not going to cry. Uh, look at this. Verse 7, Lord. Ready? 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 Bye. I got it. There we go. I got it. All right. Lord, by thy favor... Thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Now, notice in verse 6, he said in his prosperity, this is a point of strength, and he'd gotten cocky. I'm never going to be moved. I got this. <laughs> but then he says, Lord, he said, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. He said, I found out that quickly that things could get rough. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I shall go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Then look when he gets it straightened out. Verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. See what he did? He went, he went Brother Chris, from saying, I've got this, to God, I need your help. And what happened there was he had gotten away from the foolish and prideful thinking that he couldn't be moved. Um, understanding that we can and are moved allows us to deal with the reality that we must take great care of what moves us. Now, a lot of this restless part deals with that. I put this down. Watch this. We must, not be, we must be careful not to be moved the wrong way 
as a group in society. We must be careful not to be moved the wrong way as a group in society. Say, where are you going with that, preacher? Well, I'm going to Mark chapter 15. Why don't you come with me? Mark chapter 15. And be careful that we're not moved the wrong way as a group in society. It's amazing how quiet many even supposed to be solid biblical pulpits have gotten against sins like fornication, living together, homosexuality, the sodomite life. People no longer preach against rock music because they've got it, but they call it CCM. People won't preach that you're supposed to tithe because there's been a movement of false teaching come through saying that we're no longer under obligation to tithe. People are backing off on preaching about uh, the fact that whosoever will, I'm glad Brother Mann mentioned it this morning, you would not believe how that's coming through uh, independent Baptist churches because there's a rise in the teaching of Calvinism going on. And what happens is that people get moved by society, whether it's a religious society or society at large, they, they become, they become uh, hardened towards things. They become desensitized towards things. They think it's okay to get a piece of paper that says, are you male, female, or non-binary, which is the term. What's non-binary? Well, they finally ran out of le- uh, letters for the alphabet people, and so what they ended up doing, they, caught, they came up with the term non-binary. You don't believe there are just two genders. And God's people just go silent on it. Be careful not to be moved by what's happening around you in society. It's a very bad situation and it does not go anywhere good if we do start just following along blindly and instead of checking checking what's happening and see what's happening around us as uh, many things in the Bible are being set aside uh, by our society and by so-called Christianity. Well, the biggest dangers to any Bible-believing Christian are the influences of the modern church movement and the contemporary style churches. It would destroy your biblical faith. There's a spirit behind it, and it's not the spirit of Christ. I've said what I meant, and it's a considered statement. Mark chapter 15, look please in verse 11, if you will, please. Verse 11, it says, but the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. What was happening here, I think many of you would know by that context, but uh, uh, the people are calling out that, that the, uh, uh, the governor, Pontius Pilate, would release somebody at the feast day, a prisoner. And of course, uh, Pontius uh, went along with that thinking he might be able to just whip Jesus and send him out and be done with this whole mess. And, but he wasn't going to get off with that. And by the way, the people ended up saying, we want Barabbas who had led an insurrection, a sedition, that's what it is, a movement against the Roman government, and he had murdered somebody in that riot he had started against the Roman government. But he's the one who gets end up, ends up getting released. And instead, they, they say, give us Barabbas. And Pilate asks them, says, what about Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, crucify him and he said why what hath he done and they cried out the more 
loudly, the more vehemently, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. You said, well, yeah, that was a horrible thing. That was mob psychology kicking in. It was, but look how it came about. It says that the, the chief priest had moved the people, those people who were in leadership over the nation of Israel, and those people who were over them had leadership, moved the society in a way that was a very evil-hearted way. And you say, well, God accomplished His purpose. I'm not talking about God accomplishing His purpose. I'm talking about the heart of the people was ever very evil-hearted. They wanted Him murdered at that. And so you, you find out about there. So do not, we must be careful not to be moved the wrong way as a group in society. Don't go along with something just because it's the thing to go along with. Check the Scripture. See if it's true. See if it's the right direction. Hey, 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 this is something, this is something everyone would amen in a Baptist church 20 years ago. Everybody nodded their head. There wouldn't have been any looks of, well, where's he going with this? Or how, 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 how far is he taking this? Or is he talking about somebody I know? There wouldn't have been any of that nonsense 20 years ago. And we have, we've degenerated so far that there's a question about it. I know wherever I speak. There's a lot of things I don't know about, but I'm going to guarantee you, when I look at the direction of things going and understand what's happening spiritually and going on around us and our country, that's something I know about. And in this thing here, we've got to be careful that we're not pulled away from a biblical belief. Hey, the other direction too. Someone comes in and tries to make you harsh and mean towards people just because they disagree with you and not Christ-like in your spirit. Don't be pulled that way either. What I'm telling you is we've got to stay scriptural about what we do. And that takes effort. That takes a determination and a yieldedness to the Spirit of God if we're going to do it the right way. That's all there is to it. We won't pull that off in the flesh. Great statement. Sometimes we are persuaded by persuasion and not by truth. So I said, don't make the mistake, foolish and prideful mistake of thinking you can't be moved. Then said we have to be careful not to be moved the wrong way as a group in society. Did you know there's, it's actually a very valid term. It's an older term. And it's a very valid term for people who do this in societies. They are called change agents. They are put in to agitate and to change. It's communism's way of taking things over. Communism is still very alive. And it's still very wicked. And it's still very infiltrated in our, our country. We had a man who was an avowed socialist running for nomination when he should not even been allowed to legally. Because if you're an avowed socialist, you are, you, are, you are endorsing the overthrow of our government as it was established. And we've got to be careful what we go along with. And when it comes to biblical belief, we've got to be careful not to be persuaded away from the right way of following the Lord and the simple way of following the Lord. Then, let me say to you also with this thing of being moved, envy is something that lurks within each of us. That's not a pleasant thought, is it? Envy is something that dwells in our flesh. We all have the capacity for it. Some of us uh, will probably have more, more tendency, and maybe sometimes it's because it's actually used and it's, it's put into place. But envy is something that exists in each of us. We have the capacity for it. And it can exert great leverage to move us. We must not act in response to it. Look in Acts chapter 7. I said you're going to use your Bible quite a bit tonight. And I thought about, uh, I didn't use all the verses I researched by any means. Trust me, there's a lot of them. Acts chapter 7. 
But I thought about writing some out, reading them to you, and I do that sometimes. But I really wanted you to see them tonight, just the ones I chose to use. And I pared that down to what I felt would give you a good meal without kind of overloading the plate. Um, Acts chapter 7, verse 9, referring to the patriarchs here, it's talking about Joseph's brothers, uh, the heads of the tribes, the, the, the 12 sons of, of uh, Israel. And it says, verse 9, And the patriarchs moved with what? Envy. Envy sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. You think about what kind of leverage something takes for you to take your kid brother, and I know some of you older siblings, maybe you say, it wouldn't take that much. Uh, <laughs> but to literally take him and throw him in a pit and just plan on killing him, and then decide you're going to sell him off into slavery, and the Bible says that they saw his tears and his pleadings. He's begging them not to do it. Watch him shackled or tied up or whatever and led away. And do you know what they got for it? Because Reuben wasn't there, that left, that left the others. They got just over two shekels apiece. This was the price. A little bit of nothing. And then to bring home the bloody robe to their father. And they never told their father that Joseph was killed. By the way, there's a wickedness to silence when you let people believe the wrong thing. And there's a wickedness to silence when you should speak up and you don't. And so they let their father go for years in absolute sorrow. Man, if they'd said something, maybe they could have went down to Egypt and tried to find Joseph, tried to buy him back. Nothing like that. And you said, what was this thing that led these, these brothers to conspire against the brother with that? According to the Scripture, it was envy. Do you realize that Jesus was delivered because of envy? That was the motivating factor behind the priest. So we have to be careful not to be moved the wrong way as a group by leadership, and that can happen. Then we have to be careful that envy doesn't move us and that it, it, there are response to it. Um, one of the most self-centered reasons to be moved is envy. Close connection to it as far as being self-centered, something that moves people, is greed, pride, sensuality, or someone's right to be happy. Let me tell you when your right to be happy is actually evil. When your right to be happy is defies the law of God and when it damages other people. When your right to be happy makes you hurt people and you don't care what you did to them as long as you get to be happy, then your so-called right to be happy is nothing more than evil. When your right to be happy goes against the revealed uh, Word of God, then your right to be happy is evil. And so we, it's very self-centered with that. Um, then, give you another thing about being moved or not being moved. We need to ask, are we moved only by that which personally annoys us? I found this to be a convicting point, but I certainly was not allowed to leave it out. Are we, we need to ask, are we moved only by what, that which personally annoys us? It is a mark of carnality to not even consider what angers God but to be vigilant about what bothers us. I, I, I don't like being served food that's messed up. That 
I don't believe it's the wrong thing to get something redressed that's going on as far as, you know, this is not cooked or something. The other day I got a chicken sandwich and it was so raw it cackled at me. It's one thing to bite into beef that's not done, but when you bite through chicken and it's pink and it has that rubbery chicken sandwich, yeah, it's nasty. They came they said, you want another one? I'm like, no. Would you want another one right after that? I don't think so, but I did recover quickly. Um, but are we moved to action only by what personally annoys us? Or are we moved by what God says bothers Him? I've never understood, would not understand a husband who would stand by and let his wife take verbal abuse, be mistreated or slighted in some way. I, I wouldn't understand that at all. Don't want to understand that. Don't ever want to do that. Say, so, well, she can speak up for herself. Unless the situation is such that something she wants to handle and you know that you've been true and she needs to and wants to for herself. No. No. Um, can't imagine it. Can't imagine that at all. And so we should, be, uh, we should be vigilant about things that matter to our God. It should move us. It should move us when people ignore God. It should move us. I'm not talking you have to pounce everybody. But I'm talking about it should move our heart. I think about when Apostle Paul was in the, in the city of Athens. And it said that his spirit was stirred within him when he saw the whole city given over to idolatry. Imagine that whole city. And you know what it did? He didn't attack the people. In fact, he preached the gospel. He looked for a good opportunity, preached the gospel, some people got saved. But here's what happened. He, he, he looked at this thing, Brother Adam, and he sees a whole city with all these idols. You know what it did inside of him? That bothered him inside. I wonder how easily we are bothered by what bothers us and not at all bothered by what bothers God. Maybe we're lacking some in prayer because of that, I think. But this, this thing of uh, we need to ask us, what does this? And look at Matthew chapter 20, and you're going to see a situation going on here which I'm not going to take a lot of time to expound on, but Matthew chapter 20. show you something here with this. Jesus was teaching them towards the latter part of the chapter about what they were going to have to suffer and some things different going on, about His death coming up and these sort of things happening, that He's going to be betrayed. He had clearly said that. Um, verse 18, look at that. He took His disciples in verse 18 says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, referring to Himself, shall be betrayed unto the chief uh, priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn Him to death. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, and to uh, and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. And of course, um, they didn't understand all that. You have uh, the mother of Zebedee's children came worshiping him and desiring a certain thing in him. She says, "I want my two sons to have prominent positions." So here's a mom trying to, you know, <laughs> her her boys are grown men, and she she can't turn this mom gear off. And uh, I want a, a good position for my boys, you know. And she's a Jewish mom. What do you expect? And there, so there she is. 
And then when they hear about it, look in verse 24. It says, and when the ten heard it, they heard what was going on, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. They said, what right do they have to do that? This annoys us. The idea of indignation is something that personally bothers you. And in the scenario there is the fact that they got very upset over this, but there were other things that were happening around that time they did not get upset over, but they were upset over what annoyed them. I wonder how much of what's called discipline in the home is just something that annoyed you. While you bypass things that are very important, like not letting kids just run and scream when they want, jump around on furniture, and act wild. Because that's very detrimental to them. Very damaging to them. And, and uh, teaches them not to have proper respect. They, uh, I wonder how much is just something that annoys instead of something what's right and what's best. And so... We need to ask, are we moved only by what personally annoys us? And, uh, you know, this is at the root of sometimes our inability to be a proper witness to somebody. I, I will freely admit to you, and I'm not happy about this. I don't think it's acceptable at all. But I will freely admit to you there are certain things about people when I encounter them that I have to make a decision to go ahead and be courteous, and I have to make a decision if I'm witnessing to them because there are certain things that are just annoy me and my reaction, if I allow my carnal reaction takeover, will be, good luck with that. And so, I think there's probably an area in which we could use some help. Then, we need to thank God we do not have to be moved from the right way of following God. We just don't have to. You know, I get excited when I look somebody and I can honestly look them in the face no matter what their age is, no matter how much, how long they followed the Lord, no matter where they may be in following Christ, I can look them in the face and say, you can serve God if you will serve God. The Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved, lives inside of you. You have a Bible. God's on your side for you to do right. It's up to you. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? This lady we were talking to today, I, I could never get her back on point. I did a couple of times, but she wouldn't stay there. But she was very upset about something. And she said, this person has made me feel this way and they just beat me down. And I stopped her. Finally, I called her name. I said, look at me. Look me right in the face. And she did. I did, just like that. And I said, I said, make a decision to that you're going to change that. Stop right now. Let's go a different direction. Let's think about this a little different and try to get scripture with her. Boy, I couldn't hold that. I couldn't hold that with her. She looked at me, got quiet for a minute, listened, nodded her head. About 30 seconds later, she's back on that exit ramp again. But you know, the fact is that you can do right if you will. And you can do something with yourself if you will. Don't you ever for a moment believe a lie that somebody tells you that because of your ancestry, because of your family background, because of the way everybody in your family's always been, because of whatever you did before, because of wherever you came from, that you can't go on for God. Because you can, if you will, follow the Lord. You can. And so I thank God for that. This thing about being moved, I got excited. Boy, I was doing a lot of study. There was so much about it in there. And I thought, this is great. I just kept finding verses. I don't have to be moved from following God. I know that I can, by God's grace, I can finish my course with joy. I can follow this, the race that's set before me and I can stay on track. You can too. You can too. 
And let me just give you some verses and show you a whole lot better than I can ever do. These are all in the Psalms. So let's go to Psalm 15. I'm just going to have you flip with me. Well, not literally, but turn the pages to a few verses here. I thought I'd flipped earlier with that word by. I couldn't get that thing. Verse, or Psalm 15. Now I'm talking now about the fact you and I do not have to move from the right way. Verse 1, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Great question. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, and whose eyes a vile person is contemned. In other words, you, you won't go along with the nonsense. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, unjust interest in an oppressive style, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things, look at the end of that psalm, shall never be what? You understand the context. You'd not be moved from the right way, from the right path. You can stay on course. Today I was going back and my crazy dog, I, he, I got the brush out that I used on him. And he got excited because he likes it. He, he does all this weird stuff. I'll start grooming. He lays down. He sticks one leg out. He literally does. Then he does this, sticks another leg out. And you get this big old dog. He just, he's, he's crazy. And so I was going along and he's big and he bumps me. He, there's a little path that goes out back where my, my <laughs> that doesn't mean the same thing it did in Kentucky, but there's a path that goes out back to the chicken, chicken house that, uh, uh, that where my wife goes out there every morning to check on the chickens. And when those two go out there, my dog and my wife, uh, he is constantly, he wants to walk on that path. And he's always bumping her. He tries to knock her off path and she hits him back. They go down the path back and forth. Okay, and I can hear her. She calls him, oh, go, get, get out of the way, oh, go. And he hits her and she knocks him back and, and they go down the pathway like that. And uh, I don't have any clue what the neighbors think about all this. But he's trying to divert you out of the path all the time with it. Um, remember when we used to have the turkey bowl football game? And uh, we'd do that sometimes. I remember lining up against Luke and I thought, I'm going to go through him because I went through a lot of people. I'm short and I can come up through there. Only he knows how to play football. So you know what he did to that? He never hit me straight on. He wasn't quite as large as he is now. He didn't hit me straight on. You know what he did? Just move me out of the way. Aggravate fire out of me because I tried to do it, right? You notice, did you ever notice we were never on opposite teams? There was a reason for that. Um, I was not lining up against you. Uh, And so, (laughs) so he, what does he do? Move you out of the way. Keep you from your goal. That's what this is talking about. You'll never be moved. You don't have to be moved from the right way. Do you love your Bible tonight? I'm not asking you, are you reading as much as you think you want to? I'm not asking that. I'm asking, do you love the Bible? Are you glad you have the Word of God tonight? Are you glad tonight that you know the Lord is your Savior? Do you know that you can always have a heart that loves the Lord and there's nothing that can move you out of the way if you just follow after God? You can keep following God. You can keep following God. And so we, we thank God we don't have to move from the right way. Look in Psalm 16. These others are just one verses, but that, that Psalm's tremendous, or one, two at the most, I think. But uh, Psalm 16, look in one verse in there. In verse 8, look how we are not to be moved. If we're going to, let's figure out how to stay on this right course and, and just 
keep the ground that we have. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He's the one I depend on. At my right hand, the right hand's place of honor. He's the one I honor. He set before my face. I keep my eye on Him. If you've walked with God very many years, you've known what it's like to get news that someone you respected, someone you cared about, had turned out of the way. Or perhaps a couple people you respect have become at odds with each other. You have to keep the Lord before your face. Just stay on track. Just stay on track. Look in Psalm 46. And uh, this one has a few more verses, but they're brief. Psalm 46, look in verse 1. Talking about not being moved. Listen, you don't have to be moved from the right way. Well, seems like people just turn them back. Well, seems like times are changing. Times haven't changed. People are people, and God can still be followed. Psalm 46, and uh, I, I, I love this one. Look, look what it says here in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. you got to admit, that would be a disturbing scenario, and I'm not being silly. Um, in fact, it's funny, uh, I've... I, Seismology is one of the studies I like and, and reading about earthquakes and history of different things and how it's shaped uh, history, some of these uh, natural events that have happened. And uh, it's interesting, some of the major earthquakes that have happened, they said there are people who, whose minds seem to snap and never come back from it. Because that which seemed to be solid, they no longer could depend upon. The th- fact that that ground was actually moving like waves, a horrible roaring sound. The things with it, there were some people whose minds were never right again. It's like they, they just never recovered from that. And so he says here, though all these things happened and you have this huge calamity happen, he says, verse 3, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, sea law. He said, stop and think about what that would be like. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. He said God's our strength and our refuge when everything seems to be going wrong. And then he said in the midst of that and in contrast to that, there's a river. Not a flooding river, but a pleasant and a pleasurable river. And he said it makes the city of God glad. And it keeps her from being moved. There's a refreshment to it. There's a strength to it. And then I want you to see Psalm 55. And I especially notated this one. Psalm 55. I'm talking about the fact, what moves you? Hey, God's wanting you to do some soul searching with the the Scripture being presented to you tonight. What moves you? Does envy move you? Greed move you? Sensuality move you? Your happiness at the price of everything else move you? What moves you? Important, important question. Psalm 55. Excuse me, I stopped in 59 by accident. 55. And look please if you will. Down at the, towards the end of that, ver, or that psalm. Verse 22. It says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. 
That's not just positional righteousness. That's practical righteousness also. Positional righteousness is what we have when we get saved. I belong to Christ and I'm righteous because of the blood of Christ. Thank God for that. But this is not just that. It's those who have taken that and are now living that and are acting upon that righteousness. And he says those who do so will not be moved. My sister called, or actually she texted me this week, was the initial contact. And uh, something I had, kind of had to step out of the room. I found out the information about it, which was a good report, uh, especially compared to what it could have been. But uh, when we were having the uh, end, of the, end of the year school party, I had to step out of the room for a moment. And uh, I was getting a text from my sister. She had contacted me earlier uh, in the midst of some things going on here at the church, and I had to wait a little bit to reply. But she said, uh, she said, please be prayed. And then I talked to her. She said, Dennis, her, bro- her, her brother. No, not her brother. It's her husband. There is a distinction. We're north of the river. Anyway, um, they, she said her husband, Dennis, said uh, they went in and done a check or an, a, a, uh, on this kidney because, of course, he had cancer during the time my mom was going through everything. He had cancer and had to have one kidney removed. And uh, the doctor uh, went to CT scan, and they did that. And they'd just gotten a call and the doctor said, we've read the CT scan, I want you to come in tomorrow morning and consult with you about it. That's not a good thing. They have what they call the dashboard thing, you know, medical dashboard thing for over uh, in, in the Dayton area. They have them around here too, but they're over in the Dayton area. And uh, she said she went on there and nothing was posted about the results. And she's like, oh man, we've been, we've, our family's seen too much of this. They were, they were a tad nervous to put it mildly. But... Early in the day, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened early in the day. Uh, she came back and said there was a little cyst that they didn't suspect to be cancer, no cancer shown in the blood or anything. They're just going to keep a closer eye on what's going on. And so there was relief with that. But earlier that morning, I had texted her and I said, how's it going, sis? And uh, she said, uh, I'm having trouble focus. She said, I, I really need calm. And you have to understand, my sister's not a flighty person who gets taken off course very easily at all. And she said, she said, hey, little brother, I'm, uh, I'm just really being something calm. And passage out of Peter came to my mind. Uh, uh, if need be, for a time you're under temptations. And uh, talk that God will, uh, I'm not going to get it quoted correctly. That he will strengthen you, settle you. And that passage in there. And uh, the word settle what caught my attention, came to my mind. I thought, where is that? Looked it up. And I, I, uh, I texted that to her, and she, she sent back, and she said, I've written it on Post-it note. It's on the computer right now. And uh, she said later that that helped her a lot. What was it? It was, it was a scripture. It was this thing here when it's talking about, in, in 55 verse 22, cast thy burdens upon the Lord. It was not that there was no apprehension about what was going to happen, but the Lord had entered into her thoughts. The Lord had become part of the equation. She's casting her burden upon the Lord. Sometimes people say, just take it to the Lord and leave it there. And I understand what they mean, and bless their hearts, they mean well, but I, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a Bible believer, believe in walking by faith. And I want to look at them and say, what do you mean? How's that work? Does that mean you don't think of it again? Does that mean you're taking practical steps? What's it mean? How's this, how's this fit? Yeah. And say, so why do you think that way? Because I don't get to just make statements anymore. People ask me follow-up questions about them. So you got to think through things. And uh, as near as I can tell, the same casting a burden upon the Lord, the same as casting all your care upon Him for He careth for you. 
you cast it upon him. It doesn't say it's no longer your burden, but you cast it upon him. It's like you bring him into the equation. Can you help me with this? He becomes part of your thoughts. And if I understand the way those scriptures are written, the context where those type of passages show up, it takes the picture of someone who's been, been so consumed by the burden that that's all their focus can be. To the exclusion of everything else. And a real, a real sign that you, your mind's gone to that point, and I'm not giving you rebuke on this, I'm giving you instruction to help you. A real sign that your mind's gone to that step is you just get into this tailspin of repeating the same thing, repeating the same thing. And it picks up in intensity. Shows up in expression, shows up in body language, shows up in the voice. When we cast that burden upon the Lord, what we do is we bring God to the equation. We start recalling verses. We start thinking about it. It doesn't mean that all the burden's gone. It means that we realize we have a very present help. Did you read that earlier verse? In time of trouble. Brother Robin didn't say the time of trouble ended. He said he was a very present help in time of trouble. And so there's a big difference in it. Um, I told you before, back when uh, Logan had a minibike accident, and years ago it was a pretty serious injury. It caused problems for a long, long, long time. Still will start for problems. But minibike, uh, it, it's minibike. My family sometimes a little bit kid, and it's got a different engine on it. It's no longer a valid piece of equipment. But, but he was riding it, and it slid. And the grass was a little wet, and he caught the fence in the back of our property, and the handlebar hit him right here. Well, that's not a good thing. And by his symptoms and the fact that we're getting worse, um, it, it seemed that maybe he had a spleen ball or something like that. I remember I was going ballistic in the emergency room to get everybody's attention because they weren't paying attention to this. And we ended up transferring to Children's Hospital. We went in there to put two trauma teams on him. And the surgeon came to me and started talking to me about surgery and this and that. And I really didn't feel the Lord that was it. I asked the surgeon if he'd do a certain procedure that, that had been mentioned. I said, well, we try this. I said, he's no longer increasing in pain. Can we try this and see if it works before we go cutting open this boy and, and, and that sort of thing. And the, the one surgeon who went to the lead surgeon said, that makes sense. We'll try that. And we ended up not having to go into the surgery. But we were there. I was there at night. And I just say this by way to, to, to give you understanding of this. I was soaking wet. In fact, they brought scrubs so I could change into them. It had been pouring rain when I took him up there. Uh, Luke was so very young that uh, we, we couldn't take him into the situation of an all-night, so my wife ended up with Luke. I followed the ambulance up. I get in there uh, at Children's. I get inside there. I'm soaking wet. We go into the room at Children's. It was set up a lot different than it is now. And uh, the, the trauma team had been there and all that. And, and the lady came up to me. She said, I, I don't know if you understand. You have two different trauma surgeons on this. And you have the, the number one uh, slot here with this. They're taking care of this because they had wondered. Same thing I did when it came in. And then she said, do you have any idea what this kind of thing is going to cost? Do you have insurance? I said, no, I don't. We didn't have insurance for it that's some time. She said, I mean, I know what this is going to cost. I said, probably as much as I can sell the other child for. And so <laughs> then... But it, they're looking at it and she started rolling off figures I didn't want, really want to hear and, and all that. And by the way, God took care of everything with that. And, uh, we found out about HCAP, which was not a government assistance. We just never used any government assistance with our kids. And, and so I, I don't like government hooks. And so we, uh, 
but the HCAP is set aside by the hospital. It's a different type of thing. And uh, and uh, we can get some help with that, and we end up paying that off. I think we eventually got it paid off. I don't see anywhere on the credit report. But um, I was laying there at night, and they had this little place you could lay alongside the window. It sort of went away bad, but it had a little cover on it. And I'm freezing. It was I had the scrubs on, and it was, I'm thinking, everything going on, and he's laying over there and not knowing for sure what's happening. We had to wait three or four hours to see further test results. And all of a sudden I realized as I was laying there, do y'all know what planking is if you work out where you just stiffen up? And I was almost doing that. It was like my head and maybe the top of my shoulders were touching and my heels. My body was so tensed up, just like this. All the thoughts, all the fears, all the things coming in and uh, all of a sudden, the thought came in. Scripture came in. And I started quoting Scripture. And I started talking to the Lord. It wasn't, you say, oh, preacher, but that was your first reaction. Honestly, I was probably at children's a couple hours before I even stepped into that realm. But I was so keyed up. He said, did it all just go away? Did you know how everything was going to be taken up? Not at all. Can I tell you, I was still concerned. But I wasn't alone in it. Logan had been crying, stuff had settled down by then, but some of my own tears were coming in. And I started singing softly. And I started remembering some things that God had done. You know, when you say, Preacher, is everything just okay after that? Did everything just feel calm? No, but you know what? Someone else was involved now. And this thing casts you a burden on the Lord. Some of the things that will move you will be burdens. I say to you tonight on the authority of the Word of God. You don't have to go into these things alone. God will help you. And so this you don't have to be moved. God will help you. And you, He'll step in and give you wisdom of what to do with it. Um, amazing thing. Let me give you this here then. Uh, we don't have to be moved from the right way. God will help us with it. Then it's a clean and holy and a wise thing to be moved by the fear of the Lord. It's a clean thing. It's a holy thing. It's a wise thing to be, to be moved by the fear of the Lord. There's not enough of the fear of the Lord in, in, in our lives today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'm not turning you to that, that one. You can look it up later if you want to. But in talking about Noah, it said, He who moved with fear prepared an ark. He found out judgment was coming. He found out he had to be ready for that judgment. Now watch me now. We're guarded at staying awake over here, right? Got it? Are you with me, Wayne? All right, good deal. Uh, you're awake. He just didn't look like it. He's alert. Um, but Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family. What happened? He allowed the fear of the Lord and the fear of God's judgment to move him. It's always wise to allow the fear of the Lord to move us. To move us in the right direction, which it always will, by the way. And that's a good thing. And then let me say to you, Jesus is always is the perfect example as far as what should move us, what shouldn't move us. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Christ not only gives us direct commands, He not only instructs us and exhorts us, but He also sets a flawless example. It never occurred to you when you uh, hear someone teaching and preaching, and I know men do it from this pulpit quite often. Sometimes they'll instruct you by their own error. They'll say, let me be transparent with you. And They'll tell you about a weakness or fault. You know, that's because that's a lot of what we have to draw from by way of illustration. Does this ever occur to you? We never learn 
And it never has to be that we would be taught by a mistake or a flaw in Jesus. He has none. He's always the perfect example. And He's always the strong example for us in everything. And He's a strong example in this. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. And uh, look, if you will, down in verse 36. But when He, Jesus, saw the multitudes, He was moved with what, church? On them. Why? Because they, the multitudes, fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith He unto His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His harvest. And by the way, this was at the noticing that there were few shepherds. And I believe that the prayer for laborers is directly tied to that. I didn't say exclusively tied to it, but I said directly tied to it. But notice what he said. He said because they didn't have a shepherd, he said they fainted. Their strength was not what it should be because they didn't have a shepherd. They were scattered and didn't, didn't have any direction and didn't have a cohesiveness about them. Why? Because they did not have a shepherd. And Christ saw that. And He, of course, had that heart for them there. This thought caught me with that, with that verse. And in fact, it was just I was reading through. It wasn't the verse there in Matthew. I was reading a similar passage in Mark. And this thought caught me uh, with this. And it wasn't in connection with this message, but I put it in here because it exactly matches this. I'd written this down just a note to myself when I was studying. These people that he saw, they had priests. There were plenty of priests around. They had scribes. They had people who knew where everything was in the Bible and could point it out to them. They had rulers. People in the civic slash religious leadership. They had doctors of the law. But what they did not have was a shepherd. Someone who cared for them. With the same heart towards them that God had. Who was willing to feed them. Was willing to lead them. Used softness and compassion when it was needed. And used correction when it was needed. And was given by God the wisdom to know the difference of that. They needed a shepherd. When the prophet said by the Spirit of God, all we like sheep have gone astray. And he, said, he said a mouthful there. We're in need of our great shepherd, the bishop of our soul, which is Jesus Christ. Every church is in need of a shepherd as a pastor. Every believer needs someone to care for. They had the priest. They had the religious apparatus. And I'm not saying it was bad. It was what should have been there. They had the civic slash religious leadership. But what they were missing and what had caused them to faint and be scattered, they did not have a shepherd. Well, the man and I were talking, and I said, you know, I said, it's kind of funny, and it came up by way of conversation. I said, over a lot of years being in the ministry now, I, said, I told him, I said, I'll just be very honest with you. I said, there's a type of conversation. If I'm around a man and, and I hear this starting, I just pull myself back from him. I don't announce that to him. I just back away. And that's a man who always wants to complain about his church, complain about his people. 
Our preachers are in need of fellowship with people of like mind also, so occasionally we'll share a burden and that sort of thing. But I've noticed the men that I've come to admire for their walk with God and their care for the flock. Something very similar about them. 90, 95% of their mentioning of their church will either be about a need someone has in the sense, I hope this person grows, about a blessing someone is. They're not blind to the needs that are in front of them. They're not blind to the weaknesses that are in front of them. But they have a heart of a shepherd. 